0: What's up, everybody? It's the Apple Bits XL, Brian Tong, your host here for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome to the show. It is episode two again. I'm independent, and I need your help to continue to do this. So check out Patreon.com/slash Brian Tong. It's an opportunity to sponsor this show and support me, and support kind of all the other things that we're going to do as I kind of go on this journey and do independent media. But you know what? We're all here for everything, like I said, good and bad inside the world of Apple. So let's just get to the big news that just hit pretty much today. Apple's revamped Mac Pro to launch in 2019. This is coming directly straight from Apple themselves after a report by TechCrunch got really an in-depth scoop with them to find out what is going on. Reporter Matthew Panzerino took a trip to the company's Cupertino campus and talked about, look, the team responsible for revamping Apple's Pro product efforts. Now, in this meeting, it included John Turnus, he's the VP of Hardware Engineering, Tom Bozier, senior director of Mac Hardware Marketing, Judd Copeland, director of the Video Apps Product Marketing and Xander Soren, Director of the Music Apps Product Marketing. So they had hardware and software from their team in-house. And right off the bat, this is the official word from Apple. This is what they said. Tom Bozer said, we want to be transparent and communicate openly with our pro community. So we want them to know that the Mac Pro is a 2019 product. It's not something for this year. So, there you have it. If you were hoping or waiting that they would get their butt together to even give us a tease of something at WWDC, which is coming around in June, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, I think it's they need to take their time to get this right. They painted themselves into a corner with that trash can Mac Pro design that had a real tough time doing any type of real expansion. It was exactly the opposite of what pro customers wanted. But a lot of Pro customers still were like, well, it's the Pro machine. We're going to get it. But Apple clearly had backlash from it. Even internally in our offices, people were frustrated with the Mac Pro um, back when I was at my former employer. But what are they going to do now? How, how are they going to make this better? Well, first of all, I like the fact that it's completely ruled out any idea or any letdown from WWDC. Just get that out of the way. Apple did the right thing to say, hey, don't expect the Mac Pro to the new Mac Pro to come out anytime soon. Now what they've also done with this product is they've built what they have called the pro workflow team. And I think this is going to help them and really it's stuff that we don't see a lot of companies have these types of teams that work with hardware and software to see how they come together, but what can help make this unique is Apple has been hiring award-winning artists and technicians in either part-time or full-time capacities to really understand the workflows for creative professionals. Again, this was their bread and butter from the heyday years. People that it was really the, the creative pros and education. Those were Apple's two big strengths when they were rising before they became a company that went beyond computers before the iPod, before the iPhone. Those were the two markets that they had on lock and it helped keep them sustainable. So What they've done now is instead of just going to engineering Macs and software to actually engineer this workflow, according to Tom Bozier, to see where the bottlenecks are and how they can optimize that. And I think that's a great thing. Now there were no details provided on the shape of the Mac pro or any of the internal components that it might be included with it. But again, Apple says they're still planning on this to be a modular machine as announced last year. So those plans haven't changed. And Even back then when Apple kind of had a come to Jesus moment and like, we need to actually address this because I think at that point, the Mac Pro had not been updated for over three, three and a half years, and they had said nothing. And it was getting the point where people were outright complaining. I mean, I had been complaining for longer than that, but it started to get this groundswell that Apple just couldn't ignore anymore. So that is what they're doing. Uh, Pro Display will also be in development alongside of this new machine. Panzerino, in his report from TechCrunch, says we're not likely to hear anything about the Mac Pro at WWDC. Um, and you can check out the full piece there. But that's the latest on the Mac Pro. What was also kind of cool is news related to just Pro users. The upcoming Final Cut Pro 10.4.1 release will be bringing really... Multiple fixes, but two headline features, including closed captioning built into Final Cut Pro. This is this. Is, I'll talk to a little bit about why that's a big deal, and also support for ProRes RAW. Now, this is coming a week or just before next week's NAB, National Association of Broadcasters. It's 2018. It's in Las Vegas. You'll see a lot of where the industry is going from software to hardware, what are the new tools people are using. This is a big industry event. Final Cut Pro 10.4.1 will be available for download this coming Monday, April the 9th. And those two features I talked about, closed captioning toolset and ProRes RAW. So why is this closed captioning important? It is integrated directly into the software. You don't necessarily have to go through a third party service to do this and then bring back those files and put it back in a Final Cut Pro. It includes, according to this, uh, a, a complete set of tools for creating, editing, and delivering the closed captions. You can view them right in the viewer and export them as part of your video or separately as a standalone file. And this is important because a lot of times, because our phones, our computers, are our connection to the world or connection for information, we can't always have the sound up full while we're watching videos, whether it's on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever. So having this integrated directly and thrown in, not only is that a great benefit, closed captioning can be translated into other languages. It can allow your videos to be viewed in other countries beyond just English. So I think that that's also kind of another important aspect of this, but again, built right into the app. The other support ProRes raw. This is, a really popular lossy codec that gives you top-notch, superb image quality, but also balancing the file size. So this is really a still, it's a compressed file, but it gives you, you know, flexibility of the raw workflow. So you can do things like work with untouched image data directly from the camera sensor. Uh, It gives you more flexibility for doing things like the upgraded color correction tool set that I think, came out to Final Cut Pro X, or is it 10? Is it X or is it 10? Have they actually even said officially, because the iPhone is the 10, Final Cut Pro, I guess it is 10. But this is, you know, HDR workflows, having those tools available in a smaller file format. In fact, I think they said in some cases, ProRes RAW is uh, is bringing even smaller file sizes um, than, than, than some of the other kind of different codecs that you can uh, use and edit with. So those two really cool things. Something to look out for. I know it's not for everyone, but still Final Cut Pro, although it has been criticized in some ways, still excellent in other ways, especially with like the real-time rendering uh, while you're working in your workflow. Okay, another thing as the evolution of this whole, where you know what's interesting, we normally don't lead the show with a lot of the pro stuff because half the time it's like iPhone this, iPhone that, processor bumps this just in this week as well Intel's new Core i9 and Coffee Lake chipsets will pave the way for a quad core 13-inch MacBook Pro a Mac mini refresh and more Intel introduced the new range of their new 8th generation Core processors really the most notable one is the first ever i uh, first ever Core i9 processor for notebooks what does that mean Well, we could get a 6-core i9 processor in a 15-inch MacBook Pro most likely by the end of this year with this announcement. That's that's pretty special. In addition to that, the thing, though, that there's always going to be kind of a caveat, the processor set does not support DDR4 memory, right? They're still sticking with the same LP ddr 3 low-power, DDR3 RAM, found in the 2016 and 2017 MacBook Pros. So that's going to limit the max RAM capacity to 16 gigs. So as a result, if Apple wants to bump up to really, you know, give it more oomph, more power to bump up to 32 gigs of RAM, it would have to actually use DDR4 RAM and implement a new controller with it. Uh, to But that's also going to have impact on battery life. That's what Phil Schiller said Last year, when people were complaining that if this is a pro machine, we want to be able to customize it up to 32 gigs of RAM like we've seen in other platforms and other manufacturers. So the current Core i9 that there's, that will be most likely in the 15-inch MacBook Pro by the end of the year, it will not support that 32 gigs of RAM. So that might still be frustrating for people. But let's be honest, if you're on the Mac platform and you've been using it, you're still going to use it. I don't Hear people, you know, people kind of end up accepting it. Although, yeah, if you're a video editor, you're doing 4K HDR content, you want as much RAM as possible. Now, also, uh, we talked about this potential quad core 13 inch MacBook Pro that is part of this new announcement from Intel. Um, Intel's really laid this groundwork now for, let's look at this. The new future line for Apple's MacBook Pro would most likely be a 15 inch six core, a 13 inch MacBook Pro quad core. And then you could see these processors directly getting plugged into new Mac Mini and the updated iMacs as early as this year. We haven't really seen too much steam or too much momentum around the MacBook Pro updates yet. But, you know, we also have segue nicely into this report from Bloomberg about. Apple reportedly planning to switch to its own custom Mac processors as soon as 2020, uh, which could possibly make the 2018 and 2019 models the last before Apple transitions away from Intel. And let's talk about this. This is a report from Bloomberg, Mark Gurman, the man, my boy, The report says Apple plans to use its own chips and Macs from 2020, replacing Intel. The initiative is codenamed Kalamata. It's still in the early developmental stages, but comes as a larger part of strategy to make all of Apple's devices, including Macs, iPhones, and iPads, work more similarly and seamlessly together, according to people that asked to not be identified. Now, this would obviously be a blow to Intel. I, I believe Intel makes up roughly around 4 or 5% of, or sorry, Apple makes up around 4 to 5% of Intel's annual revenue um, according to their supply chain analysis. Also, look, this report had effects. Intel shares dropped as much as 9% after it, and they could still abandon this or even delay the switch or transition this, but it could be, you know, one of those moments because Apple's clearly started to become a chip manufacturer. They're not stopping anytime soon. They're putting their own silicone inside of their own products. Uh, we obviously have the iPhone with the A series processors. Uh, we have they put in uh, the W one chip in the AirPods, so we have that. They also have the uh, M processor series inside of the Apple Watch. And what else do they have? Um, I think that, oh, even in the uh, recent what's the years of my the MacBooks they have the T pro- their own line of like the T processor inside of their Macs now that that help out as well. So they're it it would all work in harmony if they swapped out the core processor to be an Apple processor from the start. Now this also though it's not it's not like it's an easy platform uh, an easy switch or anything. This whole new larger initiative from apple is what they are calling internally the marzipan platform and i don't know about you but okay i'm gonna do you remember mission to marzipan it was this amazing ice cream from ben and jerry's it's like if you've ever been to ikea marzipan is that kind of like sweet almond paste uh it, it could even be like molded for to be like on the outside of like a I think there's like the princess cake or stuff like that. It is so good. I love Marzipan. I don't know if I'll love this platform switch yet, but it is trying to get this on this Marzipan platform that makes, again, Macs work more like iPhones, have them work together, allow them to use and run iPhone and iPad apps on Macs. Bloomberg had uh, reported that last year. So this is part of the kind of eventual evolution, but it's not going to be easy like think about it there was a time where apple transitioned from their own power pc the g4 the g5 chips and went to intel's architecture their x86 architecture that we've now used for over a decade uh but that transition wasn't seamless see because and there's going to be hurdles that come into play first of all look arm-based processors although they are super efficient, um in terms of actual raw horsepower i mean they can't they can't come close to what you're getting from top tier intel processors and that's going to take time it's not like you can all of a sudden make the fastest processor on planet earth across the board for high-end desktop use it's just not going to happen so maybe patrick moorhead founder of more insights and strategy talked about computationally Seeing maybe a core i3 or low-end core i5 something on the lower end for their entry-level macbooks but it's not like they're going to jump and all of a sudden swap out all of their processor family at once the other obstacle about this let's talk about it when you talk about hardware you got to talk about developers right they're going to have to rework their apps for to make them arm-based versions of os 10 just like when they had to transition from apple to Intel over a decade ago, they're now having to go from Intel to ARM based versions. And that takes time. Like there's it's not like a flip of a switch that's easy or magical. Like they have to be recompiled. A lot of them had to be rewritten back then and a lot of that is gonna be the same. And unless you want a world where your the apps on your iPhone are truly your Mac desktop apps. Like I don't want to be a part of that. No. No one wants to be a part of that. So it also kind of Because you hear about this report, it kind of makes you wonder or maybe put you in limbo. Like, should I upgrade to a new Mac? Like, where do I stand with this? Should I I basically wait for the new hardware, the new iMac Pro or the new Mac Pro that is going to be ARM-based? Look, if I'm someone who is now, like I said, independent and creating on my own and I need a machine with the most horsepower, I'm not going to wait for Apple's ARM-based chipsets because a, I don't think they're going to be nearly as powerful right out the gate. So if you're thinking about this, if you're in the field, if you want a high power machine, I wouldn't even try and be like, uh, I don't want to do this. I would at least, if you're going to get something, at least wait till the new the new line of Intel based stuff comes out. But if you got to get one, I mean, you're still going to get a whole lot of power. So just something to think about as this transition happens. All right, this episode is sponsored by you. That's right. Remember. I'm independent, and we have so many people that I'm thankful for. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong. It's a way to support this show, to support this content, and continue to help me grow and get more content out there, more podcasts, more videos. I mean, we're starting from the bottom, and I just want to say thank you so much. So, again, you can go check it out at Patreon.com. From there, you can support the show for as little as $1 per month, but I offer different awards and you can bump up to different levels. I also have to say and shout out to my Platinum Apples for $100 per month, Terrence McKelvey, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, and Andy Halverson. They're making it happen, but honestly, I want to say thank you to all of you and please continue if you enjoy this and want to hear and see more from me, patreon.com slash bryantong. All right. Let's get to more news this week. The big, big, I think this might be the biggest news of the week. Apple hires Google's AI chief. This is a report from the New York Times. Apple has hired Google's chief of search and artificial intelligence, John Gianandrea. And really, this is a coup in its bid to catch up to the artificial intelligence technology of its rivals. I've said for years, and people didn't like it, that Siri is kind of dumb. Amazon's Alexa, Google's Assistant, Microsoft's Cortana, they're all significantly smarter, they're better, they're more accurate, they do more things. Apple's platform Siri platform is capable. It does it does well well how about this? It does good enough. But again, it's nowhere on the level. Now Apple said on Tuesday that Mr. Giannotti Gian Andrea will run Apple's machine learning and AI strategy. He'll be one of the 16 execs who report directly to Apple's chief executive Tim Cook. This is really a victory for Apple, right? Artificial intelligence is the platform. It's crucial for tech companies that are enabling, you know, our computers to just handle more tasks, um, understanding our voice commands and even now even getting a level where we're identifying people or images, pictures, search and intelligence within visual data. Now, Apple, one of the biggest critiques against Apple's HomePod was specifically Siri. It, it, It really showcased how far they were behind because Siri is even more limited than the Siri that's on your phone. So Mr. Gianandre, known as really JG to his colleagues, his role at Google, well, he helped push to integrate AI throughout all of Google's products, including internet search, Gmail, its own digital Google assistant. Now, in some of his history, he joined Google in 2010 when it purchased MetaWeb. This was a startup where he was the CTO and MetaWeb was building what they called like this database of the world's knowledge, which then Google eventually rolled out into its search engine and kind of affectionately refers to it a lot of times as the knowledge graph. So during JG's time at Google, AI research became increasingly important. It's with its primary AI lab, Google Brain, moving into the space beside CE, Chief Executive CEO Sundar Pichai. So look, they're getting a not only, if you want to up your game in AI, this is the way to do it. Nothing's going to happen overnight. But what I, I'm curious to see is how does this hire shape apple's artificial intelligence moving forward because that is their one of their weakest links but it's not something like oh yeah they don't really do this it's a glaring weak link and it's really it's impressive that they done done something for that so for that yes they do deserve a good apple that's a good that's a good apple i gotta give them that for sure now the other thing though when you look at this is what actually happened to siri right like they had the jump on everyone, really. The first digital assistant with the iPhone 4S in on a phone in 2011. And we talked about how nothing really happened. But while I was gone, while I was away trying to figure out what I was going to do next and how I could at least bring some content to the table while I ramp up, there was a story about from the information that talked about what happened. Now, there's some really interesting nuggets from here. They say, according to the report, the Siri project all went downhill after, you know, I don't, everyone's going to be like, okay, after Steve Jobs died in 2011. And they say that it marked the downfall because instead of continuously updating Siri so it would get smarter or faster, you know, just in general, one of the former iOS chiefs to Scott For- to Scott Forstall, uh, one of his deputies, Richard Williamson, reportedly only wanted to update the assistant annually to coincide with new iOS releases. We know that's not how AI works. Google and Amazon continue to roll out update after update. Almost every two or three months, there's like some new hook or some new thing that they can do. Digital assistants need to constantly be updated. Well, Apple's strategy at the time was to only update Siri every year. Not only that, it was slow when it worked at all. So Williamson in the interview with information, he does deny that, oh, that those accusations that he's the one that slowed down Siri's development aren't true. He threw it towards Siri and saying that it was riddled with serious bugs. And the problem lied entirely with the original Siri team, the actual team that built Siri. Now remember, Apple acquired Siri from Nuance. Nuance is working on Their own voice assistants, Apple purchased. Apple never came up with Siri from the start. They purchased Siri um, for $200 million, okay? And then they chose to shape it how they wanted to. Other problems, according to this report from the information, said when they were trying to layer new elements on top of Siri and new technologies, like they had problems doing it. For example, They wanted to do new search features with Apple's acquisition of Topsy in 2013. There's also natural language features from the Vocal IQ acquisition they did in 2015. But members of the Topsy team were reluctant to work with the Siri team that they viewed as slow and bogged down by the initial infrastructure. Now, they were all frustrated by this patching and this basically trying to like just keep it together by a single thread. Engineers reportedly considered starting over from scratch on Siri. Like, they were they're were like, yo, we don't want to do this. We're going to blow it up. And they probably should have. I mean, in hindsight, when you look at it now, they probably should have. Boom, just like that. They were so frustrated by all this patching, they literally considered of just scrapping it and rebuilding it from the ground up. That probably should have happened. Another part of this whole equation, which just shows how Apple didn't even really look at AI or Siri very seriously. Sorry, I had to say that. You know me. I'm kind of like punny and corny. In a sign of how unprepared Apple was to deal with the rivalry of AIs, according to in the report, this says, two Siri team members told the information that their team didn't even learn about Apple's HomePod project until 2015. That was after Amazon unveiled their Echo in late 2014. One of Apple's original plans was to launch its speaker with no Siri whatsoever, according to the source. And you can see that. You can literally see how it's affected the HomePod and just how Siri in general has really been lacking. And so I hope that this just for Apple Nation fans, the fanboys, you know, I hope that they make it better. I hope that they can take that next leap, but it's not going to happen overnight. This is the type of stuff that's going to take if they're really and if they're really going to blow up Siri, which guess what? If Gian Andre looks at this and says this is not good enough, they're probably going to blow it up, which means it'll probably take them a year to a year and a half to rebuild their new ai and it's not going to be easy and it's what's going to happen from there it's not like they're going to all of a sudden come out with an ai that is equal to amazon's platform or is equal to google's platform it'll still be behind but it'll probably at least be better than siri this this stuff is just going to take a long time to figure itself out all right in other news around the apple world Again, one of my favorite products of the past year. Quite honestly, it it finally arrived. The Apple Watch, huge fan, huge, huge fan of the Series Three. Apple's is reportedly in talks with another supplier as it works to bring micro LED displays to future devices. Uh, Bloomberg had reported earlier that Apple was working on this, right, building up their own micro LED displays, uh, joining forces with. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. That was according to a recent report. Even potentially aiming to introduce its first panels later this year, but we'll see if that goal happens or not. But Apple is looking to add a new supplier to the supply chain, Taiwan's Play Nitride. It's gained approval to invest $17.1 million in a new micro LED production facility, and it looks like Apple could be one of its customers what is the most likely product for new the new, the first micro LED display? It would most likely be the Apple Watch and iPhone because they're power efficient. The displays are brighter than traditional OLED displays and almost immune from burn-in. And we've seen multiple reports, points to the fact that Apple wants to get into micro LED. And this is just a natural step. So we'll see how that plays out. We also have, we also have some follow-up from last week iPad, the new Apple Inc. Incorporated iPad, this is the headline, is way faster than nearly any, not sorry, any, way faster than nearly every Chromebook. So what they did is they ran the Geekbench 4 browser to compare the A10 Fusion processor inside of the new 6th generation 9.7 inch iPad and compared it to the Pentium N forty two hundred in a single core performance. This is you know part of like Intel's Celeron processor family. That is really their lower end processors found in entry-level notebooks, but found in Chromebooks because this is honestly a good enough processor for Chromebooks. The A10 Fusion is nearly 2.3 times faster. It also beats the Pentium by 23.7% in multi-core performance. That's a huge gap if, when you look at that across the board. Also, in graphics performance, the A10 Fusion dramatically outclasses the Pentium N4200. In the popular 3D Mark Ice Storm performance test, uh, the Pentium N4200 achieved a graphics score of 27607. Okay, remember that number, 27607. While the A10 Fusion achieved a whopping 62829. More than doubled it from graphics performance. So, yeah, it's a beast. But does it really matter? Does it really matter that the iPad is this much faster? Because, really, Apple has lost its footing in the classroom. And even, again, my first raw take from that on last week's show about how they're behind, about how this doesn't help them, specifically with price, we're talking about $299 for an iPad, uh, at least from the education standpoint eighty nine dollars for an apple pencil, and then the fact that you've got to learn all this new software to to teach it to run it in your classroom it's not an ideal situation financially now the Wired did this really cool story about how Apple lost its place in the classroom and threw out some really cool stats to kind of give you an idea of the landscape of how this has completely changed now think about it, what I talked about, Apple's were everywhere in classrooms. They were donated to schools by the thousands around the eighties. And yeah, like eighties is really kind of some of the heyday of Apple in education. And they wanted to bring a device into every school in America. Now, Apple's last education focused event happened in 2012. Uh, That's when they kind of like pushed out the whole iBooks initiative. So 2018, they finally, right, they're coming to the table with kind of an updated education platform. In that 2012 one, it was about the iPad and changing the way students could learn. But if you look back in the past six years, has the iPad changed how how students learn? I think it's changed how kids have learned with certain apps at home. I think it's helped certain schools, but has it become this revolutionary device in the classroom? It hasn't. Now, let's look at this if we want to talk about Chromebooks and how they've grown in the classroom last year Chromebooks made up a whopping 58% of computing devices shipped to schools that's up from 50% in 2015 and up from 38% in 2014 so it's made huge strides that's according to data from research firm future source now let's talk about new Apple devices Apple devices dropped to 19% for this recent from, that's from, yes, this recent year from, I guess roughly this is 2016 survey. Last year, Apple's dropped to 90%, which was down from 50% in 2014. Even Microsoft is gaining an edge with their Windows 10 laptops. So now you're saying Chromebook is the majority of machines in the classroom apple numbers keep on going down and the apple ipad that they just announced is still roughly twice the price of a chromebook starting at 149 for a chromebook apple ipad 299 you that's and it has the the thing i forgot to talk about is the apple ipad that they released doesn't have the smart connector which means it cannot even support a keyboard and i'm not going to be all hoity toity on you need a keyboard yeah with a lot of these apps you don't but if you're but if you want this to be a useful product that is efficient you for creating documents and emails i'm sorry you need a for the classroom you need keyboards on these things and it doesn't support it so again i'm not saying i'm not going to rule it out and say oh they're totally doomed you have to always wait to see how everything plays out Typically, you know, my first gut instincts and gut reads on these things tend to play out. You know, everyone was so excited about the touch bar on the MacBook Pros. I'm like, I'm not going to use that. And I think it's actually, it's more frustrating. And now a year or two later, people are like, I don't really like the touch bar. I'm like, yeah. And I haven't been around everything, but you can sometimes, you can just see like, is this really practical? And I just don't see it being practical for iPads at 2.99 to potentially take over the classroom, teachers bandwidth of what they actually have time to do, and how much time they would have to add on just to learn how to use these properly. Apple saying, "Oh, teachers, you can create more engaging lessons by creating uh, interactive lessons for your kids on an iPad." That's not gonna happen. It's just not. So we'll see how it all plays out. But again, it's a daunting situation. Uh, we'll check in in a year or two. We'll see if Apple nails down any deals that clearly show that a school district is willing to put down millions, roughly billions of dollars to support an iPad initiative at their school. I don't see it, but we'll see. LA Unified tried, and that fell through. It didn't work out, and that was kind of one of those signs where school districts are like, Ugh, I don't... I don't think we should do this. We're not ready for this. Chromebooks are already ready to roll. They have the Google suite of apps. People, kids are using Google apps all the time already. It's, it's like in their DNA, much like in the eighties, the Apple platform was in their DNA and then it led to them making different purchasing decisions. Another little update, iOS 11.4. Apple has seeded the beta to developers as well as the public beta. So If you're one of those people and you want to try it out, you can. What I found interesting here is remember iOS 11.3 was released recently. It removed AirPlay 2, it removed messages on iCloud. But in this beta for 11.4, both AirPlay 2 and messages on iCloud have returned, which could mean that we will see those two features once 11.4 is rolled out officially. Remember AirPlay 2 offering a potential stereo sound for the HomePod as well as multi-room audio and then messages on iCloud allowing you to, if you want to, sync your messages on all devices, real time. All devices. Think about that. And finally, just to wrap things up, uh, kind of a cool little fun patent that Apple is working on or at least a revealed story that Apple is working on. It's a patent application. According to Apple Insider, Apple is working on AR augmented reality displays for the driver and passengers of a self-driving car. Now this could find its place in uh, Apple's long rumored project Titan, right? This was their self-driving car project when they said, ah, we're not going to get into cars. We're going to scrap that. And we're going to work on really more of like a, a smart system for the car. But they're considering ways to use AR to show information about the road ahead, including things that are out of the driver's vision. It would basically be using lidar, right? These this is not this is their light detection and ranging, or it can be referred to as like light imaging detection and ranging. It's it's basically using lasers and as as kind of your radar to see outside and build look at look at the world with an augmented reality perspective, but seeing like being able for it to detect shapes. And things Maybe this could be useful like in a foggy area or a stormy area where you just can't see as well and you can see some level of overlays on your window. And again, having any type of overlays on car dashes is not something new. I mean, we've seen small ways from car manufacturers that they're doing a little bit of this, whether it's like the speed of your car, some of the stats that you can kind of see on like a little heads up display that's that's put up on the window. We've seen a lot of different concepts at CES 2000, um, CES 2000, I was just gonna say the year, but just at CES in general. But Apple themselves, this is a patent application for an adaptive vehicle augmented reality display using stereo dra- stereographic imagery. Um, and it details an AR system that can use pre-generated 3D models of the world and improve on how it generates 3D content. It could be applied in many different ways. It could be even used to provide users with more information about the world around them while you're on the move. Again, this is a fun idea. Are we going to see these in cars in the future? Absolutely. Is anyone else working on this stuff? Yes, everyone else is working on this stuff, but this is just a fun little Apple patent. Um, so there you go. All right, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week. I do want to tell you, I am. I think I've locked down a phone system that we're going to start. I'm going to try and boot it up and get it going for next week. We'll see how that goes, but again, Thank you so much for listening to the Apple Bits XL. Please, if you haven't, sponsor this show, patreon.com slash Tong. In addition to that, on iTunes, on the podcast app, app, we start off with literally 72 five-star ratings and not a single one below it, and that helps elevate this show. So if you're listening to this, tell a friend about it. But also, give me, give me those five stars because – Apple Bits Nation, we're, we're building up now. We're coming up strong. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, we will see you guys or talk to you guys next week with everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. I'll see you next week. Take care. Be safe. Peace.